This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Good afternoon, good afternoon, good afternoon. Um, I want to thank all the soldiers that are here today. What do I mean by that? Everyone now is a soldier. Every Jew is now a soldier. The war is being waged against us as the Jewish people, and every single one of us is a soldier. And every bit of Torah study, every bit of prayer, every blessing that we make, every act of kindness that we do on behalf of our brethren all over the world, and especially in Israel, who are standing right now in a very perilous situation, is incredibly powerful and incredibly needed. So the fact that you're all here right now to learn is you're also part of the army. Thank you for showing up. Before we get started, I want to also point out that we gave out a set of sheets. You're at the front if you didn't get one. This set of sheets has five psalms, specific psalms, that are meant to be read at this type of time. They're all written in English. On the last page, they're followed by the prayer of Achenu Kolbeis Yisrael, which is in written both in Hebrew and then in English. The words are, Our brothers, the whole house of Israel, who are in distress and captivity, who wander over sea and over land, may Hashem have mercy on them and bring them from distress to comfort, from darkness to light, from slavery to redemption, now, swiftly, and soon. And let us say, Amen. So, the reason why we gave these out is these are yours to take home. These are your weapons. You're now part of the Jewish army. We need everybody. So, please take these home and please recite these psalms. If you can, all of them. If you can, one of them. Daily. Until this war is over. Okay? Daily, hopefully. And they're all written in English. If you didn't get one... That's a good question. I don't know. Okay, so that is number one. Number two, so I want to thank you for coming out here, and I want to thank you for all that you are already doing and that I know you will continue to do. This war has been tragic of proportions we've never seen in our entire lives. In our entire lives, unless someone was there here, you know, I don't see any Holocaust survivors in this room right now. We've never seen, you're a Holocaust survivor. Wow, first of all, God, please bless us all. So, you've seen, unfortunately, before in your life, this kind of horror. None of us have ever seen this kind of horror before, and we're seeing it for the first time now. This, unfortunately, has been the story of the Jewish people throughout the ages. And we all have come together, the Jewish people have come together in the last three, four days, like, I've never seen the Jewish people more united. I've never seen in Israel... And especially what was going on before, there was a lot of dissension, there was a lot of strife, and now everybody is together. Unfortunately, sometimes it takes a real tzara, a real time of distress to bring us together, but we are together, and let's make sure to capitalize on that. Let's make sure we continue to feel the sense of responsibility for one another. Let's make sure we continue to feel, what can I do? And the answer is, read these Psalms every single day. Make sure you give charity every single day. I'm sure many of you have already given charity to some Israel cause, and those are all amazing, and please continue to do so. But make sure that not a day goes by where you don't put a quarter, a nickel, a dollar into a pushka, into a charity box on behalf of our brethren. Pray for them, stay in touch with them, learn for them. We are all part of the army. So I want to thank you all for coming out here and for doing your part for the Jewish people. I also want to thank the amazing staff over at Partners in Torah and uh, Partners Detroit, sorry, and Yeshiva Beth Yehuda for setting up this beautiful lunch and learn. And I want to thank the amazing staff over at Torah Anytime. It's an app, it's a website, and it's filled with over a quarter of a million hours of Torah content. So if you're wondering, what can I do, and you're kind of bored one day, I had a, a mother reach out to me via email the other day, and she said, I've got five children under the age of eight. I don't have a lot of time to do a lot of things, but I listen to the classes on Torah anytime. So if, if that's, find a rabbi you like on Torah anytime, there's hundreds and thousands of them, there's literally over a thousand rabbis you can pick from. Find one that's meaningful to you, and 
you know, if you'd like, I can give you some suggestions afterwards. And listen to their content. Learn, grow, use your time for our people as much as possible. Now, we are going to do our regular programming today, i.e. we're going to talk about the Torah week, the weekly portion. We're going to try to hopefully get some perspective as well for the current events. The weekly Torah portion this week is Parshas Bereshis. The big beginning. The big beginning. The beginning of the Torah is one of the most fundamental... We could really spend an entire year just on this week's Torah portion. You know, every one of you at one point was a zygote. Right? Every one of you at one point was a zygote. A zygote is a one cell that is a mashup of DNA from mom and dad. And in that one moment, in that one cell, already you had your traits coded for you. What color hair you would have, what color skin you would have, how tall you would grow. Of course, if your person was malnourished, it could change, but roughly how tall you would grow. At what age you would begin to bald, whether you would be likely to get diabetes or not. So much was already coded in that zygote. The same thing happens with the Torah. Everything is coded in the beginning. The mystics, whenever they want to understand something, they go back to the first time you find it in the Torah. Because the source of anything is where you can break it down to its most basic fundamentals. Everything that happens in this week's Torah portion, in the proportion of Beratius, tells you so much about life on earth. About the purpose of life on earth. You want to understand what sin is like, study the first sin. Adam and Eve. You want to understand murder. Look at the first murder, Cain and Abel. Which is actually debatable. We can talk about that. There might have been a murder before then, but that's not for right now. The mystics say that the entire Torah can actually be understood from the first verse, or even the first word, or even the first letter. The Vilna Gon, one of the greatest Torah minds in the last 500 years, was once in the middle of giving a class, and he said, you could find every single mitzvah in the first word of the Torah. Every single mitzvah in the first word of the Torah. Somebody raised his hand. I don't know if they raised their hands back in the day 300 years ago. I don't know if that was a thing. But anyway, he asked, he says, really, Rabbi? He says, can you please show me the mitzvah of Pidyon Haben? The mitzvah of Pidyon Haben is a random mitzvah, very rarely occurring because there are many conditions that have to be met. I mean, we've all been to hundreds of brises in our lives. We've been to maybe a handful of Pidyon Habens. The Pidyon Haben is when a firstborn male is born a natural birth and neither the mother or the father have Kohen or Levi in them, then on the 30th day, you redeem the child from a Kohen for five silver coins. So this man in the back of the class calls out, he says, Rabbi, can you please show me the mitzvah of Pidyon Haben in the word Bereshis, in the first word of the Torah? The Vilnagon doesn't blink an eye, and he just says, Bereshis. Look at your source sheet over here. The, the word Bereshis, Beis, Reish, Aleph, Shin, Yud, Tuf, stands for, it's an acronym for Ben, Rishon, Achar, Shloshim, Yom, Tifteh. The first son, after 30 days, you redeem it. Boom! Like that, right? Now, of course, the Vilna Gon could have done that for any mitzvah. You could have asked the Vilna Gon, how do you know the, there's a mitzvah in the Torah, by the way, to put a, 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 a fence around your roof. If you have a roof, a flat-top roof that people go up on, there's a mitzvah in the Torah that you have to put a makeh legagecha. You have to put a fence around your roof so no one should fall off. I'm sure if someone said, where do you find that? He could have done that too. One of the most simple ones, Shabbos. Where do you see Shabbos in the first word of the Torah? Bereshis. Very simple. The word Bereshis can be broken down into two words. Bara, shis. Bara means to create. Shis means six. God created the world in six days, rested on the seventh. And hence we have the Shabbos the Shabbos, the mitzvah of Shabbos. They're all there. I don't know the rest of them. The Vilna Gon clearly did. Uh, but that is the power of the first word in the Torah. Now, 
That brings us to an important question, this idea that God created the world in six days. And we've talked in previous year, year, uh, years, is the six days, six eras. We've talked a, a great length. And if you want to know more about that, please go to Torah anytime and look up the class, Age of the Universe, that we talked about many years ago. Dinosaurs, Age of the Universe, Let's Talk. I think that's the name of the class from myself about the Beratius. Feel free to look into that for a, a much lengthier discussion of understanding the creation of the world. So some people say, what do you mean God created the world in, in six days? That, that's such a short amount of time. The world was created over 13 and a half billion years. I say the opposite. Ladies and gentlemen, God created the world in six days? What took him so long? <laughs> what took him so long? God is super powerful, super capable, omniscient, omnipotent. Why did, he, why, did he have to take, why did it take him six days to create the world? So we're going to try to understand that today. We know that Kabbalistically, God created the world with the letter Hey, which, by the way, is the easiest letter in the Hebrew alphabet to pronounce. I can actually hear you all saying it right now, because what does the word Hey sound like? So every time you breathe in and out, you're like, Hey. Hey, hey. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I'd like to ask you guys to stop saying hey so much. Can you please be quiet? Because <laughs> the letter hey is just a, an ex, this expelling of, the, of, a, of, a, of a breath. Now, where do we see this source from? There's a source, and it's brought down in Rashi, Genesis 2, 4. Eile toldos hashamayim v'ha'aretz behi baram. Says the verse, these are the happenings of the creation of the world, Behibaram, with their creation. Now the word Behibaram, that, that hey seems out of place. Behibaram, just say Bibaram, when they were created. Rashi says, Behibaram, Behibaram, God created the world with an hey. Shenemar, that says, in the book of Isaiah 26.4, Ki Beka Hashem, the yud hey, one of the God's names, Tzur Olamim. With the name of yud Hey, God is the rock of worlds. And this teaches us, Bishnei Osios Halolo Shel Hashem, Yatsar Shnei Olamim, with the two letters, Yud and Hey, God created two worlds. This world was created with the Hey. So there's a Yud and a Hey. The next world, the spiritual world, Olam Haba, was created with a Yud. A Yud is the smallest thing in space and time. It doesn't really, almost doesn't take up any space and time. You take a Yud and you cut it in half, what is it? Still a yud. A yud is just a little line. So cut it in half again, and then half again, and half again. Yud is really the smallest thing. You, it's like a little dot. So like, it's the smallest representation you could have of anything. But the, the spiritual world doesn't take up any place. The spiritual world was created with the yud. The physical world was created with the hay. The hay is the easiest letter to create. When you are God, complexity is not a difficulty. Right? Meaning, if you are a human and you're told to construct a full room of furniture. Let's say I said, okay, guys, for next week, I'd like everybody to stay here. Don't go home. We'll, we'll, bring, we'll bring you food and drinks. I want you to all build tables and chairs exactly like we have right in this room. It would be quite a job. I mean, first of all, we have to get all the materials, then putting on the laminate and the, the metal and forming it and shaping it. It would take us, this entire room right here, about a week to create this furniture, just recreate this furniture. We are not very, very talented. God is super talented. How long would it take God to create all this furniture? Not even a blink. Well, what about all the trees in the forest? Also not a blink. What about all the animals in the animal kingdom? Also not a blink. What about all the cosmos from massive stars? Do you know that there are stars in the heavens that are so big that their diameter, their diameter, which means going right through the star from one end to the other, is longer than the distance from here to the sun. That's how big those stars are. If you want to travel through them, you better pack provisions. <laughs> and some heat shields. Okay? So, <laughs> United and American canceled their flights through the star. The heat was too much for them to handle. <laughs> now, how long does God take to create all of the galaxies? A flash. How long does God take to create all the atoms and the quarks and the leptons? Also, a flash. The Hebarim. That's how much difficulty it was for God. So for God, to cre- it, it doesn't take any time. 
And just to give an example, you have a simple calculation. I say to you, can everyone here tell me, please, what is 3,742 times 96,321? Anybody? Come on, guys. Somebody. Okay, we don't have that kind of computing power like that, right? Okay. Now, for a calculator, it's, you finish, you hit it equals, and it spits out the answer. Now, what if you ask the calculator a much, much more complicated question? Right? As it gets harder and harder, it takes longer and longer for the calculator to answer. You remember our computers, right? Our old computers. You'd hit enter, and it would take like about a minute until the command was carried through. Faster computers? Faster. But now we have supercomputers. Supercomputers all over the world. Supercomputer, the, the biggest computer in the world, of course, is the uh, Bitcoin mining network and security network. It's a different conversation for a different time. That is the largest computer in the world by orders of magnitude. And it's putting out calculations. They, they call it exahashes. And they're at like 400 quadrillion exahashes right now. I don't even know. It, it's a lot of calculations at once. But let's say you introduce a computer that was 4 billion times faster than all those computers. It would have every question answered in a second, right? God is a computer that's bigger than all those times 4 trillion. So God could create it. What took God so long? And if God could create the world with the, with the power of the hay, why did he spread it out over six days? Okay. That is our first question we want to answer. Now I want to read to you one of the most Kabbalistic people sometimes say to me, Rabbi, can we do a little more Kabbalah over here? The answer is yes. Let's do some Kabbalah together. You guys want to do some Kabbalah? Let's get a little Madonna over here. Let's get some Kabbalah. Okay, here we go. Source number three. Bereshis bara Elohim es hashamayim ve'es In the beginning of God's creations of heaven and earth, ve'ha'aretz haisa sohu vavohu, now the earth was astonishingly empty, and darkness in the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. Now if you don't think that's so Kabbalistic, let's read what Nachmanides had to say about this. Because Nachmanides, who lived about 800 years ago, was a Kabbalist. And he says very clearly in your source sheet, source 3b. And the answer, he asked the whole question there before. I'm not going to get into the question. I just want to do the answer. The whole process of creation sowed amok. It is a deep, deep secret. You simply cannot understand it by reading the verses. And it cannot truly be understood or known except for with a tradition going back to Moses, right? So you basically, Maimonides, Nachmanides is saying, the story of the creation is so deep that you cannot understand it. You cannot understand it unless you have a Kabbalah, which is a tradition, going all the way back to Moses, who got it from God. And anybody who does know the secret is required to keep it quiet. Now, we've already had conversations about Kabbalah in previous classes, and my thoughts on Kabbalah, and if you remember them, it's not just that you have to keep it quiet, it's that you cannot express it. Certain things cannot be expressed. They can only be alluded to, and those who have the proper experience and knowledge will be able to understand what's going on over here. But it's like if I say to you, E equals MC squared. Now, you all have heard this before, but no one here knows what E equals MC squared means. Like, really. I'm saying like, of course, you say, well, yeah, E equals MC squared. It's like the theory of relativity. But can you sit here and put it on the, on the blackboard right now? Uh, two guys in the back over there picking up their hands. Okay, besides for you, I'm kidding. <laughs> you know that E equals MC squared, but you have no idea what E equals MC squared means. Yeah, like the, mass is relative to time. Like, we don't really understand these things. Let's call a spade a spade. For those who spend their whole lives steeped in chemistry and astrophysics and, and physics and all that, so you say E equals MC squared because they have all the knowledge, they hear E equals MC Like, aha, eureka. So the same thing goes for Kabbalah. Nachmanides says straight out, you and I cannot understand the secrets of creation. They're so deep and so in, infathomable that you only would be able to get it if you have a Kabbalah going all the way back to Moses... And if you did, you can't relay it to people, because it can't be relayed. So, therefore, he says, Rav Yitzchak, there's a famous Rashi in the beginning of the Torah. Rashi says, why did we start with Barashas? 
Why do we even start with the whole story of Bereshus? Because, here, I'm going to read this. It's for this reason that Rabbi Yitzchak said, it was not necessary for the Torah to begin with the chapter, but in the beginning God created, and the narration of what was created on the first day, what was done on the second day and other days, as well as the prolonged account of the creation of Adam and Eve, their sin and punishment, the story of the Garden of Eden, the expulsion of Adam from it, because all of this cannot be understood completely from the verses. So you want to hear what Kabbalah sounds? Sounds like Bereshus bara Elohim es hashamayim ve'es ha'aretz. In the beginning of creation, God created the heavens and the earth. Boom, there you go. That's our daily dose of Kabbalah. We don't really understand it. Nachmanani says, we don't really understand it. That's it, we're done. I'm kidding. However, it was also written in the Torah for us to delve into and understand. So we're going to scratch the surface of the surface of the surface. And we're not going to really fully understand it. For that, you have to come back on Thursday nights at midnight for my Kabbalah 104 class. <laughs> Bring sackcloth and ashes and various drums. No, <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> so let us try to understand at least something of something. Okay. Now look at the next Nachmanides that I have over here. Because, by the way, if you do understand physics, if you do understand E equals MC squared, what Nachmanides is about to write next is absolutely wild because it took science... Remember, Nachmanides lived 800 years ago. Nachmanides was a Kabbalist. What Nachmanides is going to write right now, by the way, was knowledge very open to the Kabbalistic world 800 years ago, and obviously before that as well. And Nachmanides wrote it but science wouldn't figure this out or even come to the slightest grasp of this until uh, literally the last version, the last version of science finally recognizing what Nachmani was, was writing about was, I believe, on July 4th, 2014 or 2013, which is when we discovered the Higgs boson field, the God particle. We'll get to that in a moment. But the point is, I want you to know this, that Nachmani wrote this 800 years ago. Science is slowly getting closer and closer. Maybe the reason why science is finally starting to be able to understand certain deep concepts that were written around in the Torah thousands of years ago is because we're getting close to the Messiah and the knowledge that we're supposed to understand. We know that the Messiah is a time when the, the world will be filled with knowledge of God, like the waters cover the sea. So maybe now things are starting to be revealed. But listen to what the Nachmanides says over here. It's wild. Now listen, he says, I just told you that there's no way you're going to understand the Genesis story. There's no way you're going to... Because it's all the deepest Kabbalistic secrets. The first verse in the Torah I just read to you is, is your Kabbalah class for the next six years. When you figure it out, come back and I'll give you one more verse to read. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the reality of how you really have to understand these things. However, he says, let me give you a simple explanation. It says, says Nachmanides, now, now listen to the correct and clear explanation of the verse in its simplicity. And I'm going to read in English only that right now, but it's all written in there in Hebrew as well. The Holy One, blessed be He, created all things from absolute non-existence. Now that is a moment that we call in Latin, ex nihilo. Ex nihilo means something out of nothing. Right? Just like a person gets divorced and they have an ex. It goes from something to nothing. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so, Okay. Mm. Okay. Ex nihilo. Says Nachmanides, at the moment of creation, God created one thing. Existence out of non-existence. Now we have no expression in the sacred language for bringing forth something from nothing other than the word bara. Beratius bara. The word creation, bara, refers to creating something out of nothing. Everything that exists under the sun or above was not made from non-existence at the, out- at the outset. Meaning, instead, he brought forth from total and absolute nothing a very thin substance devoid of corporeality, but having a power of potency fit to assume form, and to proceed from potentiality into reality. Now, by the way, this sounds like gibberish. Not gibberish. It's hard. Like, what is that? I'm, I'm going I'm to read it again. But ironically, if we had physics majors, physics PhDs sitting in this room, they'd be like, ah, oh, yeah, that's such an easy way to describe it. Let me say it again. 
Instead, he brought forth from total and absolute nothing a very thin substance, devoid of corporeality, devoid of physicality. You couldn't touch it. But having a power of potency fit to assume form and to proceed from potentiality into reality. This was the primary matter created by God. It is called by the Greeks, heyuli, matter. After the matter, he did not create, once God created that, all that was created in the first moment. And then after he created that, he did not create anything new. He just formed and made things out of the first matter he created. Which, by the way, is absolutely in line with scientific understanding today. That at the first moment of creation, all the energy that would ever be in the universe was created in one bang. And then after that, everything just ended up taking on forms. And what was that first energy? It was light. Light energy. The Big Bang today, as the scientists understand it, it was an explosion of light energy. And light energy, believe it or not, ended up turning into cushions and chairs and wood and delicious salads and grapes. Unbelievable. right? It all started just from one thin... Now remember, let's think of light. And God said, let there be light. Read this again. Instead, he brought forth from total and absolute nothing a very thin substance, devoid of corporeality. Can you touch light? Can you? It has no corporeality. But having a power of potency fit to assume form and to proceed from potentiality into reality. Everything started with this massive explosion of light. He brought everything into existence and clothed the forms and put them into a finished conditions. We're going to get out of the physics stuff in a moment and we'll get down to the more basic matter. Know that the heavens and earth, that the heavens and all that is in them consist of one substance and the earth and everything that is in it consists of one substance. Now this gets into the... (laughs) For those of you who are more scientifically inclined, I'm just going to say this. There is the Higgs field, the the Higgs field, which is basically the, the entirety of space, and then there's the actual light that started racing through it and colliding. And the only reason why it collided and started clumping together and forming matter is because it was going through a Higgs field, which is also something which is not for today. But, but my, Nachmanides nailed it. Nachmanides nailed it 800 years. It's unbelievable. Again, this is science's cutting-edge stuff. They, only, they had a theory that there was this thing called the Higgs field that they only confirmed that it ended up being on July 4th with the CERN, the big... Um, Large Hadron Collider, it was on July 4th of either 2013 or 2014 when they actually confirmed that exactly what Nachmanides is saying. That everything in the, earth, in the heavens, in the atmosphere, everything in the, in the void is made up of one material and then the light came into it, it was made another material. The Holy One, blessed be He, created these two substances from nothing. They alone were created and everything else was constructed from them. This substance, which the Greeks call heyuli, is called in the sacred language tohu, and then there's vohu. So tohu is the structure into which it comes, and then there's vohu, which comes from it. Okay. Why? So the first day, God just creates this sort of energy field, we're going to call a Higgs field, and into it he creates this small, like just this thinnest of things. It's not even an element. It's just an energy. A very thin substance devoid of corporeality, but having a power of potency called Vayihar, let there be light. And from that, everything was created. And by the way, you go to any scientist today and say, what was the source of this metal? They'll tell you, light. Ask him, what was the source of my coffee today? They'll say, light. What was the source of my cotton bed sheets at home? Light. What was the source of these glasses? Light. Everything all goes back to this very thin substance, devoid of corporeality. It's wild stuff here. And again, Nachmanides nails this. He lived 800 years ago. It took scientists thousands of years of doddering around until they finally came to recognize what Nachmanides, who was a Kabbalist, was able to write again. Because how did Nachmanides know that? Because he did have a tradition, going all the way back to Moses, who got it from God. Okay. So on the first day, God creates the light. On the second day, things start smashing together, clumping together, forming these 
bodies surrounded in water, what they would call in science terms of primordial soup. On the third day of creation, the soup starts to recede and dry land vegetation starts to be created, the first forms of light, and so on and so forth. Why did God do it like this? Why didn't God just say, here's a world, boop, lights on. Is it any more difficult for God? No. God could create the whole universe in a, in a... But instead, God creates the universe over these many measured periods. Each day creating different things. Why is God doing that? Why didn't God just... Can you imagine, like... Let's imagine, like, an amusement park, right? So you have an amusement park, and before they open, they're working on it for years. You've got to buy the tracts of land. You've got to get all the permits. And you have I mean, vast amounts. Of, think about how many people are involved in building an amusement park. Let's say I want to build an amusement park right over here in Michigan somewhere. Right? A huge... We don't want to go to Cedar Point anymore. I'm going to build a beautiful, massive amusement park 20 minutes away, right near Kensington Park. So I've got to buy thousands of acres of land and i got to fight with all the villagers there, the people living there, and the, the permits and this, and the ecological studies. I do all that. Then i got to bring in, in tremendous amounts of materials. We start laying massive electricity and cables and then water and piping and cement. and, and it, it, Unbelievable. But then one day there's a grand opening and you just walk in and there's an amusement park. Ta-da-da! There's a little carny guy sitting there saying, here, throw the dart at the balloons. And there's, a, there's tickets and rides and fast pass and sodas for $12. You know, all kinds of amazing things. <laughs> now God could have just said, instead of working on it for a decade, God just could turn on a light. And tomorrow there would be an amusement park right here. Why didn't he? What took him so long? Why did he create everything out of nothing? And then slowly build it and build it and build it and form it and fashion it. Until finally we had trees and lakes and rivers and possums and potatoes and aardvarks and armadillos. Why didn't God just, boom, just turn on the lights? You could do it. You can do it. Okay. Everything that God does in the beginning of creation, is all for us. It's a roadmap for us. God is telling us how we need to create our world. Okay? God understands that the creation of the world, a, a human being is a little world. A human being is an olam katan. We're a little world. And God is telling us, do you know how you're going to create you? First, the smallest little energy that you're going to put in, the desire, the willpower that you're going to start building on. And you have to go in steps and build and slowly and build and stop and start and keep going and build. Because God can create the world by just turning on the switch. Boom! There's the whole amusement park in, in, in a second. We can't. So God is trying to model for us the behavior that we need to do. If you want to build an amusement park, it's a 10-year project. If you want to build a human being, it's a 98-year project. Once you hit 98, come back for more instructions. Okay. Now, how does this work? Let's imagine the most unformed matter. Okay, so we're talking about the world is started with this unformed matter. It's potential, but it's Literally nothing else. What is an example of absolute unformed matter? All potential, but unfortunately nothing else. There's a lot of things. But let's give an example. A drug addict. Unfortunately, there's been, the country has been ravaged. The, the, the scandal of the prescription drugs that were pushed onto Americans by their doctors, by their trusted doctors, it is beyond comprehension how horrific that whole OxyContin, Purdue Pharma, the whole thing was. And you can read up about it. I've written about it. It's unbelievable. But imagine you have somebody, and somehow he got addicted to Oxys or whatever it is, and he spent the last five years of his life doing literally almost nothing but trying to score more Oxy. Finally now, he has a family intervention, 
He just came off of his third resurrection from death on the hands of Narcan. Right? I mean, literally, people are dying and having overdoses and they're being brought back to life with Narcan. So finally, the family, everyone's around and somehow he decides, okay, that's it. I'm ready to go. My life is right now, I'm just, I'm totally unfashioned. I've got nothing. I don't have any skills. I don't have any capabilities. I haven't done anything constructive in years, maybe. So we say to him, okay, step number one. The whole family's there. We're all standing, standing around him. We say, Billy, we love you. We care about you so deeply. And we know that you care too. But we know that you've been ravaged by this horrible addiction for the last five, seven years. We are with you every step of the way. First step is, Billy, you need to get clean. But we don't want to lay it all on you. We're going to make sure that someone in this room, from this intervention, it's not just to just give an intervention to walk away. What do you expect is going to happen? Unfortunately, I don't have the tools. Every single day, one person from our family is going to go with you to your NA meetings. You'll do 90 and 90. You'll do 90 meetings in the first 90 days. And we're going to go, we're going to, we're going to get you the, the detox is already done by the time this intervention hopefully happens. He's not. We're going to go with you every single day. And for 90 days, every single day, sometimes twice a day, a member of the family comes, they pick up Billy, they bring him to the NA, and he starts to do much better. It's a long process. But finally, at the end of 90 days, he gets that little coin they give out at NA. He's three months clean. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable accomplishment for this person. He hasn't been three months clean since he can't even remember. And one day, they come home. They come home for, he comes home from his meeting on his 90th day, and he's got his coin in his pocket. He's so proud. And he walks in the door, and there is the whole family. And there's cake, and there's a celebration. And everyone says, surprise! Happy three-month clean day! And they've got cake, and they're all surrounding him, and they're patting him on the back. Billy, you're the man. We, we, we are in awe of you. You're amazing. Okay, so Billy now is clean. And he stays clean. But he stays in his uh, parents' house. He doesn't want to go out lest he get tempted or whatever. He just stays at home all day playing video games. Except for one day, one, one, he goes once a day, he goes out for a meeting, comes back. Okay, everyone's like, look, at least he's clean. A month goes by, two months goes by, five months go by. Six months go by, and the family has another intervention. They're like, Billy, you got to do something. You know, we're, we're so happy you're clean, but you can't just be clean for the rest of your life. You're, you're 26 years old. You can't be clean sitting in mom and dad's basement playing Halo for the rest of your life. He's like, okay, what, what do I got to do? Like, you need to get some training. You need to get some job training. There's a program right over here that will teach you to be a Ford mechanic. Ford certified mechanic. There's a big need for mechanics today. He says, okay, I'll do it. The next day, he leaves the house. 7 o'clock in the morning, gets on the public transportation bus, goes to this school where he gets technical school, and he goes to school for nine months, and he's great about it. And nine months later, he comes home with a, he's got this whole certificated stamped, he is in a Ford certified level three mechanic, whatever it is. And when he comes back into the house, there's a whole party. Happy graduation day, Billy, you're the man. He's, he's beaming, everyone's so happy for him. It really is amazing. Then he starts to stay home again. He's like, Goes by a month, everyone's like, Billy, what, what are you doing? He's like, what do you mean? I, I did everything you told me. I got clean. I got an education. What am I supposed to do next? Like, Billy, dude, like, the education is for a purpose. What am I supposed to do? Like, get a job. Oh, okay. All right, no problem. The next day, he goes into Avis Ford on Telegraph. Well, actually, not Avis Ford. Now there's a cannabis shop on the corner of 12 and Telegraph. <laughs> so, the other Ford. <laughs> 
He goes to Crawford Forward, whatever it is, and he gets a job. And he starts going to work. The next day, he comes out with his special, his, you know, his mechanics, the blue, you know, the, the Dickies uniform. With the, he's got his name on it, Billy. And he goes to work. And it's amazing. Everyone's so proud of him. Billy, you're the man. And he's, he's good about it. He's really good about it. He goes in. Every day, he takes the bus. He goes to work. comes home. He's making money now. Everyone's so happy. Billy, oh, you're amazing. We're so proud of you. So for the next two years, every single day, he goes to work, he gets there on time, he's a great employee, they love him over there, Billy, you're the best, Billy, you're the best. Finally, the family's like, Billy, you know, it's time for you to uh, think about a, a bigger future for yourself. He's like, what do you mean? <laughs> I got clean, I got an education, I got a job, like, what else do you want from me? They say, oh, Billy, but... You gotta start thinking about it. A family, a future. He says, What should I do? He says, You should start to date. So, okay. So he meets a girl. They start to date. Three years later, they're still dating. <laughs> he's still living in his parents' house. He's still playing Halo when he's not hanging out with Haley. <laughs> he's playing Halo when he's not hanging out with Haley. But everyone's like, Billy, buddy. Dating is not about dating. There's a purpose for the dating. Like, what do you guys want from me? I did everything you said. I got clean. I got a job. I got education. I got a job. I have a girlfriend. Like, you got to get married. It's like, oh, okay. Next day, he proposes to Haley. She says, I've been waiting all this whole time. Thank you. Okay, fine. They get married. Three years go by. Everyone's like, um, Billy, there's this, one of the things about marriage is something called a family. <laughs> More than a couple, it's called a family. We love you, Billy. You're doing amazing. He's like, what do you want from me? He's like, well, maybe it's time for you to have a baby. And so on and so forth. Hopefully, then what ends up happening is, let's go through all the steps. Billy gets clean. Billy gets an education. Billy gets a job. Billy gets a girlfriend. Billy gets married. Billy starts a family and has children. Billy takes them to Little League and to uh, lacrosse. And even then, if Billy's really the Billy that I know him to be, I hope his parents come to him and say, Okay, Billy, you've done so much. Now it's time for you to give back. Like, what do you mean? He's like, get involved in a community organization. Maybe you get involved in, in a soup kitchen. Maybe you get involved in a gleaner's. Whatever. Get involved. Do more. Now, if at any point in Billy's life he loses one of the previous steps, everything can come crashing down. If Billy loses his sobriety... Everything that he built on top of that, the education, the job, the wife, the children, he could lose all of it just by losing his sobriety. Even if he loses, somehow he loses his education or he loses his job, he doesn't try to get a new one. There's a lot of things that could cause everything, the house of cards to come tumbling down. It's a very delicate balance. The way God created the world is, God creates the world, and every day is a celebration. God created the light. By Yarrow Kim Kitov, and God saw it was great. But what does God do the next day? Gets up and says, wait a second. It was great. But I can do more with this. I could smash these light particles together and get planets and all kinds of stuff. Okay, God does that. And then God's like, well, I could smash some more of these particles together and get plants and oceans and dry land. And God does that. Everyone's like, it's amazing, God. You did great. But wait, there's more. Stars and constellations, everything gelling into place. Amazing! But wait, there's more! Fish and fowl! Amazing! But wait, there's more! Humans! Animals! Amazing! And God sees all that He creates, and behold, it is good. And when does God stop creating? On Shabbos. And when are we supposed to stop creating? on Shabbos, but also on our future Shabbos that we one day will all hopefully merit to see and experience, the Olam Haba, the Yom Shekulo Shabbos, 
the day that is all of Shabbos. Hashem is showing, I make you, I bring you into this world as a piece of unformed matter. And you need to be able to go through step after step in life. And each step is important. But each step cannot be the final step. There's never a time in your life where you can get up in the morning and say, okay, I'm done. I did what I was supposed to do. I did everything you asked of me. Every day you get up and build a better version of you on top of version 1.0. Then you build a better version on top of version... So you build 2.0. Then you got to build 3.0 on top of 2.0. And 4.0... That's what humanity is all about. That's why Hashem creates the world in such a long time. Hashem could have just flipped the switch on and we would have had the whole amusement park. The Douglas firs and the, and the canaries. Everything in between. But instead, God says, "But what's that going to do for humanity? I can do that because I'm God. Humanity needs to be able to build every day and keep building and keep building. And always recognize that what you've done until now is great. But you wake up the next morning and say, okay, what's my job now? How can I make it even better now? How can I build on top of that? I'm clean. Great. I get an education. Amazing. I get a job. Great. I get married. Great. I have a family. Great. I give back to the community. Great. I start thinking about the global community. Great. Hopefully you keep doing that until you reach your Shabbos. And there you have the opportunity to fully rest. Life's not about resting. Life's about building every single day. The next world, the Shabbos, is where we get to fully rest and enjoy the fruits of our labors. Hayom la'asosa umachar la'kaboschara. Today to do it, tomorrow to reap the rewards. But God also showed us a very important component in that element. God keeps complimenting himself. If you look at the, at the, at the verses, you start wondering... Why is God complimenting himself so much? On the first day of creation, Genesis 1-4, And God saw that the light was good. Amazing. Verse, Genesis 1, verse 10, And the Hashem called to the, to the uh, dry land land, and to the waters he called oceans, And God saw that it was good. Next, God's not done yet. Genesis 1.12, and the God gave forth vegetation, seed yielding herbs according to its kind, and trees producing fruit in which its seed is found according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Genesis 1.18, and to rule over the day and the night, and to separate between the light and the darkness, and God saw that it was good. 21, 21, and God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that crawls with which the water swarmed according to their kind and every winged fowl according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Do you notice a little pattern over here? God keeps patting himself on the back. It's like, you're God. I would hope you make a good product. I'd hope you'd stand behind your product. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I, I, you get a participation prize over here, God? Like, yeah, I, I didn't think you were going to make second-rate stuff. Like, I, I had no thought in my mind for a second that God was going to create you know, winged creatures, and they were going to be bad. Like, oh man, okay, we'll have to do that again tomorrow. No, God doesn't, God is perfect. He doesn't do do-overs. But he keeps giving himself compliments over here. Genesis one twenty-five, and God made the beasts of the earth according to their kind, and the cattle according to their kind, and all the creeping things of the ground according to their kind. And God saw that it was good. And finally, Genesis one thirty-one, and God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Very good. And it was evening, it was morning, the sixth day. Again, why is God doing this? Why is God giving himself compliments? Let's remember the foundational fundamental that we said. Everything that God is doing in this story of creation is teaching us how we create our worlds. Everything here is teaching us how we create our worlds. A human being is an olam katan. We are a small world. We are a microcosm of a world. Hashem is saying, do you want to be successful? When you accomplish something, stop and appreciate what you did. Make a celebration. Because that will be the fuel that will get you from this waypoint to the next waypoint. If you don't celebrate your successes, you will not have the energy and the power to keep building, to keep doing. Many years ago, I had the honor of making a 
what's called a Siyom Ashas, a celebration upon completing the Talmud. It took me 17 years to complete the Talmud. Many, many, many years, a labor of love. But at my Siyom, which was a beautiful event, fully catered event, with incredible, was beautiful. I said the following, it's true. At some point in my 17 years, I just burned out. And I kind of just like, I stopped. I dropped the ball. Why did I drop the ball? Because I, th- I think, there may have been other factors, there are always multiple factors in life. I stopped making seums to celebrate each completion. I was like, no one wants to have a seum for me anymore. I've made already too many of them. They don't want to see my seums anymore. I'll stop making them. And what happened? I lost the willpower to keep going. So when I finished the, entire, the entirety of Shas, I made a beautiful gala event. I said, this has got to be able to carry me through till the next time I finish it. The show that I go to, they do Dafyomi. They do that every day. They study one page of Talmud. We're already up to Kiddushin, so we've been going at it for quite a while. About ha- we just finished the exact midway point. And every single tractate that we finished, we made a party. And I think that's why my synagogue, a lot of places, they start the Dafyomi cycle. It's a 2,711-page cycle. And in the beginning of the cycle, people get psyched up. But over time, people start to fall off. But our shul is seeing tremendous resilience. People are sticking with the program. And I think part of the reason why is because we celebrate every mile marker. God says, celebrate your successes. You climb up the stairs. You get up one big step. It's an amazing thing. Don't say, oh, no one wants to celebrate. No! Celebrate your successes. God says, look. God's like patting himself on the back. Oh, I did a good job. I did a good job. He's complimenting himself. God doesn't need to compliment himself. But he's showing us, you want to be successful? Make sure you have a support system there in place that's complimenting you and celebrating your successes because that will give you the energy to keep going. You want to see success, your children, your grandchildren, your friends, your neighbors, compliment them on their success. Tell them, I see I see what you're doing, it's very good. Tell them that all the time. It'll give them the energy to keep going. How did Billy, how was Billy so successful at all these milestones that he achieved in his life? Because every step of the way, people were celebrating with him and telling him how much it meant to them. So we have to know, Hashem is telling us, you have a job to build yourself. When does that job end? Not until your Shabbos, until your final Shabbos, when you get to rest and enjoy the rewards of a life lived with accomplishments. And until then, every day you got to get up and say, what's next? What's my next job? What's my next marching orders? But you also have to celebrate your successes because that's what's going to give you the energy to keep pushing forward, forging forward, making more and more successes as they go. Ladies and gentlemen, let's remember to keep davening for our brothers in Israel for their success. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for taking these psalms home and saying them every day until this war is over. And thank you for being awesome. Have a wonderful week. Thank you. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.